Welcome to Northridge Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. For more information, visit us online at northridgethomaston.com. Now prepare your heart as we dive into God's Word. Amen. Thank you so much. Y'all give the Lord a big hand. Amen. You may be seated. Did you bring those sheets? Is that Okay, if anybody needs a chapter 13, I didn't have any last week. I know we're going to finish chapter 13 tonight. So if you need one, you can uh, grab one of those or... Yeah, to get somebody to grab them, and then y'all just raise your hand if you're new tonight or you need one, and they will grab you one and bring it to you. Hey, uh, while we're doing that, let me say something about the 23rd. Um, I just saw Michael Helton. Uh, I have that paperwork for you, and I just want to say to Michael, Michael and I talked uh, some time ago, it's Rochelle's husband, and um, just a a very meek and, and wonderful guy and a, and a brother of mine and, and talked to him, I guess we talked about six months ago, didn't we, Michael, about uh, licensing him into the ministry. He has a lot of back ministry experience and schooling and just uh, going to be doing a wedding for his niece. And uh, and I, I, I told Michael, it's not something I take lightly. It's not something I hand out, you know, often, but I would commit it to prayer and we did and, and just really examining his life. This is not an ordination but it is still very, very, very important, and I don't take it lightly, and I know you don't. So I just want us to give Michael a hand. We, we are licensing, licensing him into the gospel ministry, and so we love you, buddy. We appreciate you. Appreciate you so much. Um, but on the 23rd, um, it's going to be a special day for me. I'm um, going to be releasing my book. It, this has been probably over a 10-year uh, process of writing the book, and I could, I'll tell, maybe share some of the stories on the 23rd. We're going to do that in both services that Sunday week, and uh, going to share some of that with you, the passion behind it, why it's written, and, and what it's really about. And in short, uh, what really moved me was that the large majority of the Christian church across America today will never share their faith. And, and they will tell you many reasons why that will happen. Uh, they don't feel confident enough in the scripture. They don't think they know enough. They're afraid of the questions. They don't want to be embarrassed, whatever. And, and just to be very honest with you, none of those excuses are going to stand before God. I think there's an expectation for us to share our faith. And so I felt like that I wanted to address some of those issues. And one, of course, being kind of the how and the, the tangible part of how people can share their faith. Like one of the chapters is meet them where they are. And I don't really think it's as complicated as we might think to share your faith. Just meeting people where they are, get to know who they are. You know, I love the blind man's story um, in, the, in the Bible who was healed of his blindness. And so many different people came at him calling Jesus a blasphemer and all of these other names. And he's a liar. He's a magician. He's a fraud. And I, I really love his response, the innocence of it. He said, you know, I, I don't know that. I don't know all of those things. But one thing I can tell you is I was blind, but now I see. And so that's irrefutable. And so we talk about that in the book. And we talk about a very practical guideline to reach someone in your own, in your own world, in your own life, in your own workplace, school, what have you. So I'm excited about that. Uh, many of you have asked about that. Many of you have bought them. You can actually go to markpritchett.com. If you would like to buy your book before that day and not you know, stand uh, in, in a line over here and have me to go ahead and sign it for you or what have you, you can actually go ahead and do that online or, or that day. We're going to have it set up down here and uh, you're welcome to come get some and, and uh, give them to your friends. Anybody wants to just buy a thousand, that'd be fine too. It's all good. And uh, proceeds are going to go to build the camp down here and uh, build it out for uh, so we can host camps for students. And um, so we're excited about that. 
So anyway, without further ado, let's jump in. Chapter 13, Revelation chapter 13, we're on your handout. Number nine, we were talking about his job description, he being the second beast that's mentioned here. And of course, it says that he will exercise all authority of the first beast in his presence, causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, uh, whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth inside of men. And he deceives those who dwell upon the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, and the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the beast, uh, the image of the beast, to be killed. So I wrote down, I'll fill in some blanks for you. Uh, he exercises all authority of the first beast. Uh, he is essentially a satanic prophet. So we know him to be the false prophet is what we're talking about, leading the world to worship the beast and the dragon. Uh, it may seem fantastic to some of the world uh, that will be led into worship of a man uh, and of the devil. But, and I said this last week, it is the intrinsic nature uh, of men and an undeniable religious impulse um, and also the fact that this undeniable, undeniable rebellion against God. In other words, we are made to worship something. It's intrinsically within all of us. We see that even in the way that we uh, conduct ourselves at a ball game, a rewards ceremony, or whatever it may be. Uh, the apparel that we wear uh, to represent a team or some other type of something that we're interested in. It's really just a form of worship. And the greatest misdeed today in the church of idol worship is the worship of self. That is the common thread in our culture today. It's through things like entitlement and how does it impact me and what do I think about it. And I said this on Sunday, and I didn't say this with any degree of disrespect, but I also didn't say it with any degree of apology. Uh, we are not the main character in this story called life. We are merely a participant. Uh, no matter what anyone thinks, no matter what uh, world stages and political stages, celebrities and athletes may think, they too are not the world, uh, the key player. Jesus Christ is the key player and everything else is subsidiary, second and third and hundredth and one thousandth to his playing this story called life. It's all about him, it's all for him, it is all to him. Colossians 1.16 tells us that. He's the author of all things, he's the sustainer of all things, and he's the goal of all things. I heard somebody say one time, where is the world going? And the retort would be, it's going to hell in the handbasket. No, it's not. It's going back to him. Started with him, it's going back to him. Nothing has happened unless he's allowed it. And I just thank God for that, that nothing changes that. And we've been talking about how we can trust our words. So, you know, that kind of plays right in line with that. And I'll finish that sermon that we started last week on this Sunday. So I hope you can be here. It says, uh, there'd be in your paper, he performs great signs. And this was something that we kind of, you know, we're real cautious to kind of tread through. And I'll tell you why. That the beast rising from the sea has signs and wonders to back up his false teaching. Underscore that if you have a paper. Uh, going back to the reason for such miracles. Why? And I put this in quote. Because the Jews required a sign. The whole point of reference, and don't ever miss this, the whole point of reference for signs, wonders, and miracles, and I use those three words because they're used interchangeably in Scripture. Okay? So when it says, greater works will you do in my name, says Jesus, don't misquote that and think that that means greater signs, wonders, and miracles will you do in my name. That's not what he said. 
And he's very deliberate about his words. Remember we said that in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All scripture is what? Inspired by God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, uh, and so forth and so on. And we, that's kind of where we're you know, hanging our hat on our message for, the next, uh, for last week and this week. The, the words that are in scripture are, are definite. They're there for a specific reason. And there's a reason why that word is used here and sign wonders and miracles are used elsewhere. But I want you to also read on to what I put down. And what I try to do in this handout is give you further uh, kind of exhortation on what we're talking about. In other words, we may not park on it in here, but you have the ability to go back and cross-reference this to the scriptures that I've placed in here. That This is not some arbitrary thought or my opinion. And, and I get it. I absolutely get it. I know that there's, there's agreements and disagreements, even in this room, even with a size of crowd this, this big. But it's okay. Most of those disagreements really should not divide us. And we've made those things. There's an old saying, and I believe this to be true, it's in the military, is that we don't have to die on every hill. And, and, and I think it would do us well to just digress and, and, and back up sometimes and just you know count the main thing the main thing. So having said that, I do think that it's important that you should study and that you should know why you believe what you believe. And that if I simply say something, uh, I, I challenge you. Do not, do not just take that at its own merit. You have a duty and a responsibility to counterbalance that against Scripture. And you say, well, Mark, what, what about you? Well, listen, I'm judged, I'm judged doubly for the things that come from my mouth. So make, make, make no mistake about it. If I am telling you something up here... If I make a mistake and if I'm shown to do that and I will, I will come back and I will explain that and tell you my heart on it. Um, if I don't and we want to sit down at a different time and place, because I don't think this is the place to challenge that and debate it, um, but I do think that there's, there's, there's room for that, there's space for that. So by all means, if you have questions, uh, make an appointment. I'd love to chat with you about it. So anyway, just be, make sure, and I think this is one little caveat I'd offer, offer to that as well. Be sure that we don't ever try to build doctrine, which is biblical truth, on personal dogma. Don't build doctrine, because doctrine's not moved by your dogma. It's not moved by your experience. And I, and I say that loosely because it's it's very oftentimes that that's the case uh, within um, church findings and teachings and what have you. And it's just, it's just the craziest thing. You'll, and listen, you can Google it. Be careful about the Google search engine. Just Google it. You can find probably 10 things of 10 different origins. Make sure you look at where it comes from. Make sure, you know, 99% because of the money that's being spent. Do you know 99% of the Google search engines that you do on religious studies will be founded and rooted in the Mormon church because they spend more money to put their Google search engine to the top. So when you click on it, if you're going to the Mormon church or seven-day Adventist or something like that, be really careful. If you're going to the Watchtower, be really careful. That's the Jehovah's Witness. And just know that uh, just because somebody says it in a commentary does not make it truth. Doctrine is truth, and it need not be defended. It need not be experienced. It simply is truth, right? So we tracking? All right, praise the Lord. Y'all going to go to sleep tonight. We're going to we're gonna go longer. So amen? All right. And it says a specific, I put this down, a specific miracle of the false prophet is described and quote, he makes fire to come down from heaven on the earth inside of man. Now, I just wrote this down, that it's important that John the Revelator highlights this miracle because in the eyes of the deceived world, it answers the miracle of two witnesses who ministered during this period and are persecuted by the Antichrist and his false prophet, Revelation 11, 5. 
to the deceived world, that also puts his false prophet in the same class as Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18, who on Mount Carmel called down fire from heaven. So make no mistake about it, for him to perpetrate this fraud and to, to give this counterbalance, this, this fraud of, of, of God's miracle, he's, he's always trying to do that. And that's how people that are seeing this, people, let me tell you something. When I was in Israel, one thing I found out is that the, the people of Israel uh, Orthodox Jews, they, they really know the Old Testament. They really, really, really know it. We went to the Wailing Wall, and over to the left, there was this massive courtyard inside of an enclosure. And there, from the youngest of age, you have young boys learning to quote the Torah word for word, the first five books of the Bible, Pentateuch. And they're quoting it word for word. It, it, it's, it's not uncommon for a Pharisee of the day or part of the Sanhedrin for them to be able to quote all of the writings of the prophets. Things like that. It's just very common. And so, and guess what? Satan knows it word for word. So just know that that's part of the impulse of, of man. And so I wrote this down. We can imagine the false prophet as saying, let the true God answer with fire. That's what, that's what Elijah spoke to the uh, prophets of Baal there on Mount Carmel. Let the true God be God. And it's probably, it's just... To me, it's conjecture what I just said, but it's very common that, to think that this guy, this false prophet, is going to probably say stuff like that. He's going to say things that are going to be uh, absolute perversions of what Jesus said, what God said through his word. So I wrote this down, and I said, he's going to do so performing this with a deceptive wonder, but it will be a wonder nonetheless. And then I wrote this. I said, this is a supernatural power which is against God and truth. Let me read on through this whole thrust and you'll see where I'm going. As well as one for God and truth. A miracle simply as a work of wonder, listen to me, is not necessarily of God. I want you to think about that for a moment. There are miracles, and I'll catalog it that way, there are wonders that don't always justify God's presence. So here, here, here's what I want you to hear. There's always been devilish, or I may even say evil, supernaturalism in the world. Running alongside of the supernaturalism of divine grace and salvation. That was a writer that I studied in school. But here, listen to this. In the days of Exodus, y'all study this, right? Uh, Aaron performed miracles and up to a point was literally matched miracle for miracle. Now we know at the end, you know, God's miracle overtook the magicians, and what have you. That was in Exodus 7 through 9. In Deuteronomy, uh, God assumes there will be a supernatural works on behalf of false prophets and of idols. And he warns people to judge a worker, listen, of miracles by their message and not by their works. Who, in other words, is getting the glory for what's taking place? False prophet will never give glory to Jesus Christ. Now listen, here's the, here's the little really careful part we have to be uh, mindful of. I've been in other countries where, listen, most people in all cults have no problem talking about God, talking about Jehovah God, talking about all of the Old Testament God titles. I mean, they'll even throw them out there, right? But where we're gonna really separate the fence is when you get into the person of Jesus Christ. When they get to that point, that's their, that's their tipping point. But guess what? That's their jumping off point, Mark. But guess what? That's our jumping on point. Everything is filtered 
through the person of Jesus Christ. That's why the Old Testament is so wonderful. We talked about the, the uh, importance of the scripture. Remember I told you kind of from 2 Peter uh, that the definition of it itself, if you weren't here and, and just put into layman's terms, that it's a reliable collection of historical documents. It's not just one book. We have to be careful not to just say the book that we have is called the Holy Bible or it's God's word and we just simply caricature that as a title. No, it is God's words. It's it's him not speaking, listen, not speaking into man, but speaking out truth, right? If he merely speaks into, then he's just an influencer. But if he's speaking out or God breathed out as inspiration is really defined, then it's defining truth. So when we talk about all of this, this collection of historical documents, reliable historical documents that um, were written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses who, who report supernatural events in direct and specific fulfillment to prophecies who claim that their writings are divine rather than human in origin. I mean, this is a big deal. And so when we get into this point of the Old Testament, New Testament, that's why typologies and the things of the Old Testament that give a picture of Christ, that foreshadow Christ's coming. Like if you read, for example, Psalm chapter 22, you'll hear language that Jesus actually spoke on the cross. Yet you're talking about hundreds of years before, not only before Jesus, but he's speaking about things that are, are a crucifixion on the Roman crucifixion, right? By the psalmist. You say, why would that matter? I'll tell you why it matters. Because the Romans had not even discovered crucifixion when he wrote that. But it's called a messianic psalm. It's, it's foreshadowing him. And so Jesus is that jumping on point for us, the jumping off point uh, for them. And I put this down. Jesus said that some who work miracles, even in his name, were false followers and would perish in hell, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said that in the end times, false prophets would emerge and, sh and show, and I quote, great signs and wonders to deceive many, Matthew chapter 24. Paul said that the Antichrist will come, listen to this, with all powers, signs, and lying wonders, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 9. Knowing all of this, the emphasis on signs and wonders among some Christians is absolutely frightening. Can I tell you something? It shouldn't be. God is still, still in the miracle working business. God is supernatural. You say, what is that, Mark? Listen, that's a scary thought sometimes, right? Supernatural. Or, or like some of the churches where you can say Holy Spirit, but you can't say Holy Ghost, right? It just frightens people. They're one and the same, first of all. But the other thing is to understand that this emphasis of signs, wonders, and miracles among Christians to some is frightening. I'm going to tell you something. This is the most beautiful thing in the world to know that there's a super God working against natural man and where those two collide is supernatural. God God is, is above it all. He knows it all. He's sovereign over all. And listen, he can absolutely, why, why do you pray for people if, if you're not 100% sure every time that he's going to heal? That's the reason we pray because we don't know. So we come in faith. And that's why I tell people oftentimes, and Dustin and I talk about this a lot, but that's why when I pray, I even have said to you before, I said, you know what, when, when someone comes down here with a child and we're praying for them, pray like you're going to pray for your kid. Because I'm going to tell you something, if you're praying for your kid that way, Katie, you'll pray with a different level of faith, won't you? 
I mean, it's an audacious faith. You're believing for God to move in that situation. And we've seen it here in our church. We've seen many, uh, many situations like that. And God, God healed me in 1995 of Crohn's disease. And, and uh, I just praise God for the fact that he's still a healing God. Amen? Some Christians say or, say or think this. You can really know where God is and where his power is by signs and wonders. And I wrote this down. Thinking this way is to leave yourself wide open for potential deception. Because again, it's not always God. Don't think for a moment. Let me tell you something. That's why several weeks ago in here, we were talking about the demonic sphere, and, and, and that just keeps coming up in my life, to be very frank with you. But, but understand that that's not something you toy with. And that there is a power there, that power given by God, limited in scope, but go back and read the book of Job. When, when, when God basically lowered the hedge around Job, remember at first he said, you can do anything you want, but you can't touch him, right? Think about what he did at his hand. Think about all that was lost. And then, of course, ultimately God said, I'm going to let the hedge down a little lower. And he actually impacted his physical body with boils and things of that nature. Now, let me just offer you this thought. A lot of the problems that we have in our physical body is really dealt with the way we think about life. If you think about, um, again, depression and things like that and anxiety, and you think about the ulcers in your stomach, you think about the problems that we're having. I mean, a lot of that stuff is just driven by what Satan's putting in your mind and what you learn, what you des finally desire to just speak out loud over your body and over your home. And, and again, life and death and the power of the tongue. I think we have to be careful with what we just you know, randomly speak over ourselves, And so a lot of that comes with, you know, just knowing the word and, and knowing it's truth. But I think there's lots of deception. Uh, I, I wrote this down and it just, just again, years ago, there was a large multi-denominational conference of people who thought this way. And this was their slogan on a huge banner over the conference platform that read unity under signs and wonders. That's what it said. And I wrote that that is a unity that Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet could have all joined into. Signs and wonders will be present among Christians, but the real marks, hear me, of God's work is love and truth. One of the greatest miracles that you as a Christian will ever experience is to be able to love somebody that's unlovable. To be able to forgive someone who is unforgivable. Or I think, I think somebody sent me this today it kind of it kind of hit me who sent me that did you send it to me how do you know what I was talking about the Holy Ghost told you alright so here it is um, Mark I think you're the most attractive man. no that's not it that's another one I, I'm looking you sent me a lot of stuff what did you say There it is. I found it. Yeah. To see somebody who lives an unholy life touched by a holy God and they be forever changed and to be able to live a holy life in an unholy world. That's a miracle. And so that there's a, there's a, and again, let me just be very specific with this. It's, it's very, very interesting that in Galatians, God tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is. He tells us. It's nine fruit, one fruit, right? And it's, and it's encompassed by those, 
by those things that we call fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Jesus said, the way people can tell you're my disciples is the way you love one another. He said, I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I've loved you, and so forth and so on. So just be careful of that. Again, however, comma, that does not mean that God is not a miracle-working God. He just says, be cautious and don't define my activity in any given situation just because things are happening that you can hang your hat on as a wonder or a miracle or sign. Just be careful. Now look at number C. Number C. He was granted power to give breath over to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. The beast rising from the earth uh, will use a deceptive animated image as the focal point of worship for the beast. And that's what I wrote down. It may seem strange to us to have the whole world give this kind of worship to the image of a man, uh, but the personality uh, cults of a totalitarian government in the 20th century are good examples of this kind of worship. All we have to do is remember totalitarian states of the Soviet Union or the communist China, uh, their omnipresent, if you will, pictures of Stalin, of Mayo, and we see the pattern that will ultimately be fulfilled by the Antichrist. In other words, when you think about how this could happen, if, what if every book you open, what if on the cover of every magazine, what if on every billboard, what if at the Times Square, not only on that big jumbotron, but every single fixture, what if everywhere you looked, you saw this person? Because that's exactly the way it works in, in North Korea. That's the way it works in communist China. That's the way it worked in Stalin's day. It's the way it worked in Hitler's day. And it was not at all uncommon, not only for them to plaster them everywhere, but also have loudspeakers speaking out in this this indoctrination of truth and what you had to do. It was done in Nebuchadnezzar's day. This is not a new thing. And so that's what we can expect. But here's what I found that's interesting. The, the image of the beast is animated in some way in that it has breath and can speak. Whether the image is emanated or supernaturally or technologically, uh, the result will be impressive. Now, listen to what I wrote down. The psalmist mocked idol worshipers because the idols um, of the heathen are silver and gold and the works of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. Psalm 1, chapter, uh, 135. This image of the Antichrist will be a different kind of idol because the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship him to be killed. So this is a unique situation. And it's going to be something to, no pun intended, but to stand in wonder, in awe of what's going on because this is going to be inundated uh, with our culture. This idolatrous image is what Jesus, uh, Daniel, and Paul both spoke about in the abomination of desolation. It's an idolatrous image set up in the holy place of the rebuilt temple. When I was in uh, Israel, what year was that? Four years ago? There is already currently in, in the town of Jerusalem already fixtures of the tabernacle that has been rebuilt and encased in glass encasements currently. They're already built. Because here's the question. So many people think we got so far off because the temple has not been rebuilt. There's a, there's a group of, of, I forget, it's called Something for Israel. There's a group of men, uh, engineers, that have already been pushing, already have plans, already have everything back down to the exact way that scripture has placed it for this new uh, temple to be rebuilt. The images, the fixtures and things, they're already rebuilding them. Remember I told you that when I went to Israel, you can Google this. This is absolutely true. 
Uh, I have pictures on my phone that I gladly show you. When you go down by the Dead Sea, uh, there are already these little pockets of water popping up with reeds growing through them. Little, they're catching fish in them. And, and that is absolutely extraordinary. Never, ever, ever been thought of or done. And we know that that matters because if you look at uh, when Jesus returns, which is at the end of the seven years, that doesn't start at the beginning. So if he came now, we got seven years. They got three, three and a half years to build the temple. They can knock that out in no time, right? Because that middle point is when that abomination of desolation is going to happen at that three and a half year point. So we got time for that. Looking at the seven-year point, at the end is when Jesus comes back to the Mount of Olives, steps on it, it cracks, the rocks release water, runs into the Kidron Valley, down all the way into the Dead Sea. And the Bible says life comes into the Dead Sea for the first time. Uh, I mean, all that's already in place. Go go do this. I did it it about a week ago. Go and Google. Go to Google uh, Earth and pull up um, the Euphrates River. Go do that. You've seen it? And, and you'll see the width of it. You'll see the breadth of it. You'll see its depth. And, and there's places up up northern part um, that is already completely dry. That's a fulfillment of Scripture. We're talking 1,792 years. That's been spoken that that's going to dry up so that the kings from the east can make their way across. It's done. It's already happening. I mean, they're, they're fighting and trying to figure out where they're even going to get water. That's in the news as of last week. So when I heard that on mainstream news, I went and pulled it up on Google Earth. And I'm like going, this is happening right now in real time. So there's, there's a lot, lot going on. Uh, let's see, what did I write? I wrote down, it is an idolatrous image set up in the holy place in a rebuilt temple. It is an abomination in the sense of, the, of being supreme idolatry. And it is desolation in the sense that it would bring judgment described by the seals, trumpets, and bowls. This is the summation of the power of the Antichrist whose authority ends after 42 months, Revelation 13 and 15. This marks the halfway point of the, fi- of the final seven years of man's rule on the planet, man being the Antichrist. The Antichrist power ends as soon as it peaks. Look at number, uh, number 10, verses 16 through 17. The economic strategy of the first beast and the second beast. He causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave. This is going to go against the grain of every woke and canceled politician that's ever breathed. Because it's going to to be equitable. It doesn't matter if you're the top of the chain, the bottom of the chain. It doesn't matter if you're in the back far corner of the Amazon. It doesn't matter if you're in, in, in the top you know, penthouse in, in New York. Listen to what he says. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, sleep free and slave, to receive a mark on their, on their uh, right hand, on their foreheads, and that no one, and I want, you to, I want you to hold on to this. Don't miss this. Because this matters more now to me today than ever because of what's just happened. Listen to me that no one may buy or sell except one has the mark or the name of the beast or the number, this is important, or the number of his name. Now, what what I'm about to roll out, I'm giving you both sides of the equation. I want you to understand what's being said and what we believe, okay? So I'm kind of giving you some, some 
many, many things here. Let me, let me look at A. And he causes all to receive a mark. Under government, under the government of the beast and the associate, all would be given a mark. And without the mark, one will not be able to participate in the economy. Now, does that mean, however, that every person living on the earth at that time will take the mark? No. There will be people, and according to Thessalonians, based on the way it says it, that if people have heard the gospel, the love of the truth, and they denied it when it was given, that they're already damned. They're damned. There's nothing they can do. That, that's why you have to be careful of even some of the, I think some of the great intention of works like Tim LaHaye that gives this, this false promise that this pastor who preached the message but really missed the truth, his whole ministry, but then once the rapture happens, he's the forerunner of the one who's going around to, to proselyte and, and share this, this message of repentance and God and so forth and so on. That's just dangerous because the Bible teaches directly against that. It says that if you've had the opportunity and you rejected the love of the truth, then, then you're already damned. And if to further extend that curse is he says that God will send them strong delusion, that they'll believe a lie. Now, here's the premise. I don't want you to miss this. Don't make that sound like God's not letting them in. Here's the thought. If a person cannot accept Jesus Christ under today's conditions, and the biggest issue, under the wooing and the drawing of the Holy Spirit, what in the world makes you think that they will accept him when their child's life depends on it? In other words, if we put it down here where we live, it, during the time of this, this pandemic, there were certain things that we were told that we just took at face value. You can't do this, and if you do, I mean, it always it even went down to, you can have church, but you can have eight. I remember sitting at the back of that room weeping. Rochelle, you were here on a few things, counting. Because in my own ignorance, I wanted to do what was right. And I'm counting and I'm thinking, God, they're going to come in at any point. I got to make sure we only have eight in the room. And now looking at that and reading this, and I think that, that's how it's going to play out. They're going to look at you and they're going to say, look, you, you can't have water to drink for your child. You can't have formula. We already have the formula issues happening now. And how many of you know when you got to go and you don't have toilet paper, right? That ain't a big deal. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about food. I'm talking about death. I'm talking about starvation. Or, or better yet, I, I, I get every week a download of, of persecution.com. Go, go and sign up. I encourage you to go and sign up for Voice of the Martyrs. Persecution.com. They send it to me all the time. Anybody else read it? Unbelievable. There are places in West Nigeria, and I've been there three different times. I talked to a guy that, from there today, in fact. And, and listen, let me tell you what they do in some of these places. And they, they do it in, in, in parts of the Middle East as well. They'll put these people in a, in a jail cell and they'll stand there with gasoline and, and they will say, if you don't renounce Christ, we're going to throw this on you and set you on fire and you can't get out. And, and maybe in our minds we're thinking, well, you know, I, I could 
I could do that if I had to. Well, here's the saddest part of it. And I, and I say this only, I, I don't really see any kids, but, but hear me. What's even sadder, and this came through a pastor that was from India, and he said this. He said, what's even sadder is to think when they put your child in there and do the same thing and say, renounce Christ now. Or, or better yet, in that day, they're going to say, take my mark. Because it says he will cause them. You follow me? And he says, if you don't take the mark, then I'm going to do this to your child. I mean, fill in the blank. Make it, as, make it as grotesque as you can fathom. And that's not even the tipping point of what it's going to be during that time. Because he says, he will set up an economy in such a manner that you can't buy or sell without the mark. Now, it could be as something as simple as just them saying, you know what, because it's not going to be a stamp of 666. We, we've, we've talked about that. But, but it, it could be a microchip, more than likely will be. It could be, we talked about last week, that Terry sent me about the whole tattoo thing. It's a mark. We, we do know. But, but, but in the same token, it could just be something that they do and say, look, this is going to alleviate sexual trafficking. This is going to alleviate the you know, uh, money laundering. This is going to alleviate all the stuff of stolen identity. We're going to put it on your skin. But it's going to be super easy. All you have to do is walk through and scan it. It's going to come directly from your account. Uh, you know what? Nobody's going to do tax fraud anymore. I mean, they're going to set this thing up in such a manner, so beautiful and so wonderful wonderful under the false pretense right but really what it is is a tracking system and they're gonna they're gonna follow you they're gonna know what you get you can't can't buy a gun from from you and just say hey i'm gonna buy a gun because there'll be no money exchange so they'll know who has guns and who does this and who's who's looking at propaganda who's going to the theater and watching the wrong kind of movie who's doing this and i mean and so the whole economy would be set up and it says that no one will be able to buy or sell unless you take that mark and again when i read this over the course of my lifetime i thought how could that be and now we know now we know are y'all tracking don't be scared, though. Don't be scared. We're not going to be here. So don't, don't, don't let it drop your countenance. Don't be superstitious about the number 666. And I don't know if it's like, you know, you're like me. Like, if it ever lands on 666, like, oh, no, no, give me another penny. I don't want to take no 66 change. No, don't do that. You don't have to do that. This, this just defines who this person is. Okay? It's his number. Um, and I wrote this down. Since the ancient Greek world for, uh, for Mark uh, isn't generally applied to people, some have taken this. And this is, I'm going to offer you some conjecture and some thoughts. Um, taking this as a symbolic mark, but a literal mark is needed to buy or sell and certainly conceivable and more practical. The technology to give people a mark that enables them to buy and to sell in the electronic economy is already in place. We do it every single day by scanning our, what? Our credit card. Oh, and now you don't have to do that. Now you can put your credit card and just get your phone near it and it comes out. I mean, it's there, right? And this is all making it easier for us. And that's, that's how the enemy works. It's, it's never, ever, ever, I remember my first weekend comfort zone series. Y'all remember that? Remember I told you, if you can be comfortable in this life as a Christian, there's something gravely wrong with your faith. But see, the, for, the, for the anti side of this thing, it is actually becoming more and more comfortable, more and more easy. And that's, that's how this whole thing will play out. So I put down the technology to give people a mark that enables them to buy and sell in the electronic uh, world is available. There are many different ways it could happen and such programs already proposed and tested constantly. It's out there. Just like that thing Terry sent me was, what, two weeks ago? It just happened at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, which should make everybody a Georgia Bulldog fan. But look at this. It says, I put C, I put the, it's the number of his name. This was a common concept in ancient world, in Greek the Hebrew as well, the letters were assigned numerical value, like with Roman numerals, right? Now remember, when we talk about this, um, 
Well, I'll tell you what, look at verse 18. Here's the wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate. I mean, the Bible's telling us to do that. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. The number for man is six. This false trinity, trinity is six, six, six. Listen, um, it's the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Now, here's, here's what, I, what I said last week, and I just want to qualify this. And, and Rex offered this to me, and I appreciate that. Um, but, but I want you to look down at my last sentence. The schemes of unlocking the number of the beast are, are, can be confusing as they are endless. Why do I say that? For years, uh, people like uh, Henry Kissinger, uh, he was a big player in the Nixon and Ford um, presidency. And, and his for some way, his name moved over to the Latin, was adding up to it. Uh, Gorbachev, that, that happened with him. He had this, see the one that had the birthmark on his head? Is that right? They were, they were saying that was the mark of the beast. And so just, just know what happens is it's in plain view, but what happens is there's so much conjecture that's thrown out there, even by religious leaders, perhaps well-intended, and they throw it out there and it's this guy. Or back in 1984, when the book was written that the world was going to come to an end and it was 1984 and that came and went. What it's done is cause this false sense of security. But the Bible even says, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them. So what I was adding to last week was, and what Rex was saying, is that we're, we're not saying that it's this pope. I'm not saying it's not, but we're not saying it's this pope. What we're talking about is something that lines up both historically as well as the idea of what I've been telling you, is that there is a religious part of this false trinity, that's the false prophet, there is a political part of this false trinity, that is the Antichrist, and then there is a driving force, which is the beast, the dragon, Satan himself. Now, so that tells us without any question that there's going to be this dual prospect of energy that's going to come from the beast, and it's going to be both political, and it's going to be economical, and it's also going to be religious, and it's going to be tied together. We also know that there is going to be, without question, go back and look at every single big point that's happened in history as it pertains to the Jews. Rome was involved, whether it be Nero, whether it be Titus, whether it be whatever the case may have been, whether it be Caesar himself in the time of Jesus. Everything is tied to Rome, and it's the fall of Rome, the rise of Rome, the fall of Rome, the rise of Rome. And I think if I'm not mistaken, there's going to be four total. we got one more. There will be this reviving of this Holy Roman Empire and what rules over that? The papal authority. So when I say the Pope, understand that this has been truth, but we don't know which Pope it is. Now again, there's a lot that can be said about this particular guy that's so different than the other Popes that we've had. We've actually seen some Popes over the years that have done some really great humanitarian works. This guy's a loon. I mean, does anybody else watch what's going on, who he's hanging out with, what he's saying, what he's standing for, et cetera, et cetera? And, and so, so Rex handed me this, and again, I shared with y'all last week that I went and pulled it up, that um, the title of papacy, meaning whoever occupies the Pope, but also everything that goes with it. It's kind of like when you say the president, you say that's Biden, but then when you say presidency, you're talking about the cabinet, you're talking about the influence, you're talking about everything that goes with it, right? So that's what we're talking about when we say papacy. 
But the papacy in the Latin, the Pope, means vicarious filet day. And if you add up those numbers, which by the way, in Latin means in the place of God. He's in the place of God. And again, I explained to you, that's not some new concept. That's because they believe in apostolic authority. They believe that all popes come from the original pope, which was Peter. They misconstrue what happened in Caesarea Philippi. Jesus building the rock on that. That wasn't what it meant. But if you add up the Latin name for the papacy by doing the numerical valuations of these letters, it simply comes up to 666. I'm I, I just saying this, and I agree 100% with this. I, I just think that that's where the false prophet will come from. I absolutely do. It, it lines up too well with everything from a political and economic and religious uh, perspective. So I just want you to know that. We're almost, we're almost done. Let me say the two beasts, look down below, see. The two beasts are satanic imitations. I wrote this as a kind of a aha for me. They're presented with a false Christ and a false John the Baptist who promote the false God. Satan can't create, but he can effectively deceive with imitation. That's why it's important for us. And then lastly, imitators work precisely because they are so similar. And if they're so obviously different, it would be easy to tell the difference. We must beware and be familiar with the genuine. Guys, that's why you've been told and I've been told and I continue to tell you, you have to get in your Bible. You have to get into the word of God. And there's so many things that are happening that are, that are right there for the taking. We, we know exactly what's unfolding. That's why and I shared this with you Sunday. Um, and, I'm not, and I'm not knocking any person. Uh, maybe, maybe today as we sit in here and talk about this and um, you're nervous about it. And I think that's okay to be nervous. I think we're nervous of things we don't know. I, I get that. But please, please don't let this drive you. Don't let this be something that, that promotes fear in your life. That's what the enemy wants to do. And what is he doing? Why, you got to ask the question, so why am I afraid? Because he's lying to you. And he doesn't want you to stand in truth. And man, I'm telling you, I'm, 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 I'm 53 and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried about dying. That's not, I mean, if I'm going to die... And, and that's, that's, that's my transition, as Paul told the church at Corinth. He said, this mortal body can't, can't go to heaven. It has to put on immortality. Death is the means by which we get back to God. And so um, that's why we say oftentimes in, in funerals, and gosh, I preach five funerals in four days, and, and I'm just, nobody else, don't, I don't want to do a funeral right now. But here's the thing. We tell people, and, and I share it with them, and sometimes they look at me like, huh? The Bible says, greater is the day of one's death than the day of one's birth. Isn't that interesting? Do you know why? If we really knew what happened the moment we breathe our last breath, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord Jesus. Have you ever been in church and you started singing about him? And you just got so excited you couldn't handle it. Have you ever just heard the preacher say something that just hits you in the gut and you're just like, praise the Lord. Can you imagine the moment, Rochelle, when your mom breathed her last breath? 
coming out of that stinking COVID time, right? She opened her, fi- her, her face in front of the one that she had sang about. But then think about that conversely of a child coming into this world and all the things that they're going to be doing. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be celebrating babies coming into the world. God's just putting it in truth and perspective. He's just saying that think about the things and the thrust that they must go through in this life uh, moving forward. What it should offer us is just such a sense of confidence in knowing that when we think about the world, think about this beast, think about what he says, all that won't worship him, he's going to what? He's going to what to him? He's going to kill them. Do you know that that's their liberation? Because other points we read, you remember in the early parts of this, that you know that, that in this day, man will seek to die and death will flee from him. That death won't even be an escape for them. But ones who endure to the end and, 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 and die for their death, and I believe by way of beheading, and they didn't accept the mark and they didn't hear the truth beforehand, they're going to be redeemed. They're going to be saved. And, uh, and that number will be a great number, a great, great number. So I just praise the Lord for his truth and I praise the Lord for his instruction manual, his love letter, his rebuke, his reproof, instruction. And that's what we'll finish up on next week uh, on Sunday, That rather this week coming up on Sunday. I know we got a lot of people um, that are traveling, so let's keep them in, there, in our prayers. And uh, thank you so much for coming tonight. And we'll transition into chapter 14. It's fairly fist and getting good. And uh, we'll try to make some headway. So let's pray together. Lord, I love you and I praise you for your word. I thank you that we do not have to be afraid, that we have not been appointed unto wrath but unto salvation. I thank you, Father, for truth. And I thank you that truth defends truth. And we can just stand on it. We can build our house upon it and know that it's the rock that's going to hold us tight even when the whims of lies and false teaching comes our way. Lord, help us to be in this book, this book to get in us, and let us be changed for it. In Jesus' name, I pray, and all of God's people said hallelujah. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today at Northridge Church. We hope today's message inspired you in your walk with God. We hope you take your next step by connecting with us online at northridgethomaston.com.